Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. So today is the day the Lord has made, and while we rejoice and while we are glad in it, we have brothers and sisters around the globe um, who are really struggling. And in all the ways that we might struggle as Christians here in the United States, and all the ways that we might imagine ourselves to be um, under under some kind of persecution as Christians, um, the the depth of despair of Christians around the globe, particularly those who have been internally displaced um, or displaced as refugees living outside of uh, of their homelands um, and, and living in countries where Christianity is not the majority faith, it's really hard for us to imagine uh, what's happening and the long-term effects um, of being of being displaced as a refugee. And so I want to have a conversation this morning with Juliana Tomaruzzi. She and I are um, our friends. We have traveled together in Israel. She's the founding president of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Um, I respect her work deeply. I love her genuinely. Um, Juliana, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. I'm so happy to speak with you again, and it's an honor to call you my friend. Thank you. It's an honor to call you my friend as well. Um, I um, I want us to start by reminding people who the Assyrian Christians are, I, and and we're we we will have to distinguish again. We're not talking about people who live in Syria. We are talking about Assyrian Christians. Remind us who the Assyrian Christians are, and then um and then we'll come back from a break. And I want you to tell people what is happening in the lives of Assyrian Christians today. Um, but remind us what what or who is an Assyrian Christian. The Assyrians from the Old Testament, if you recall, uh, was the great empire, and our history is over 6,768 years old. Uh, We are also uh, the descendants of the same Ninevites that repented from our ways through Jonah, when Jonah went to Nineveh to preach to them, uh, those are our ancestors. Uh, Assyrians are also called Chaldean and Syriac. Uh, We belong to different denominational denominations of Christianity. Some of us follow Catholicism. Some are of the Church of the East, Ancient Church of the East, Assyrian Church of the East, and many of us are also evangelical today. Uh, we are uh, about three, three and a half million across the world. Uh, in 2003, in our ancestral homeland, Iraq, uh, we were one and a half million. Today, we're down to barely 200,000 because of um, the Islamic radicalism that broke out in Iraq in 2003. However, persecution is nothing new to us. We converted to Christianity through St. Thomas the Apostle, Thaddeus, and Bartholomew uh, the, during the first century A.D., 
And um, ever since then, really, we have uh, been face to face with the sword. Um, but we've steadfast held on to our faith. Our greatest genocide, uh, aside from the ISIS genocide, was the Armenian Assyrian Greek genocide, uh, which, in fact, uh, Representative Josh Harder of California just yesterday introduced a resolution to recognize officially the Assyrian genocide, also not just the Armenian and Greek genocide. So we are an ancient people. We've given much to the world, and we have paid a heavy price for being Christians. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of us are now um, in settled in the U.S. The largest two communities are in Detroit and in Chicago. All right. So when we come back from a break, Juliana and I are going to talk about ISIS. Um, we are going to talk about um, what happened uh, to those 1.3 million Assyrian Christians um, who are no longer in their ancestral homeland. We're going to talk about where they are. We're going to talk about living as refugees. And then we want to talk about how we can support them. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So Juliana Tamarusi is here with me. She is the president of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Um, and one of the things that uh, this organization does is they come alongside Christian refugees who have been displaced by ISIS. Um, and they continue to walk alongside these brothers and sisters in Christ um, many, many years after the rest of us stopped paying attention. I mean, I think that's the that's the most fair way to say it, Juliana. Um, you know, our, our attention span for the plight of other people is um, horrendously short. And so tell us, first of all, um, these 1.2 million Christians who no longer live in uh, in in the Nineveh plain in, in Iraq, um, where are they, and um, and how are they surviving? Uh, 1.2, approximately 1.2 Assyrians, Chaldeans, and Syriacs uh, have fled. They, um, we don't know how many have been killed in the hands of Al-Qaeda and then ISIS. Uh, we know that uh, there are dozens of women that are still in captivity or in slavery uh, by ISIS in Syria and across the Middle East. Uh, we may never hear from them again. And uh, the rest have been settled, resettled in uh, countries such as the U.S., uh, Canada, Australia, Europe. And uh, however, those who are immensely suffering, there are about, uh, about 45,000 Iraqi Christian refugees across the Middle East. We have about 16,000 in, uh, um, in Jordan. We have 23,000 approximately in Turkey. We have a few thousand in Lebanon. And uh, we talk about thousands, uh, Carmen, but literally every single person is a human being that today is living in subhuman conditions as refugees. Even though uh, the, the people inside Iraq who have returned, most of them, to their homes, to the Nineveh Plain, as you mentioned. And Nineveh Plain, for those who don't know, uh, ancient Nineveh is today's Mosul. And Nineveh Plain is this uh, about 1,200 uh, square miles northeast of um, of Mosul. 
and half of those the population their christian population was displaced have returned has returned so about 65000 of the Nineveh plain residents have returned the rest are either inside iraq displaced elsewhere or outside the country so those who are living inside the country are facing different challenges but the ones that are refugees across the middle east i've seen them i've sat with them i've cried with them we've brought some help to them they're completely devastated carmen I want you to tell us a story. Um, I read something that you shared in an interview with Gatestone uh, about um, a woman who is in her 50s. She's a mom. She's a Christian. She used to have a hair salon in in Iraq. Um, tell us her story. So Philos Project, the organization I'm a senior fellow at, uh, takes young leaders every year to Jordan to allow the American Christians to visit with uh, Iraqi Christian refugees. Otherwise, we will really never know and understand their plight fully. This woman, um, who lived in a small, in a, in a largest Christian town, actually, in the Nineveh Plain called Baghdede, Karakosh, it's a famous town, um, had two hair salons, had two massive homes, their homes are not small. Majority of their homes are very big. And she came face to face with ISIS. They knifed her on her right side of the body. She showed us the scars. And um, as she was rushed to the hospital to stop the bleeding, uh, her home was attacked. All of her, both of her salons were torched. There's really nothing left of them today. And she took her family. She fled to the northern part of Iraq to Erbil, uh, which is in the north, to in the Iraqi Kurdistan. After some time, she left her uh, oldest daughter. She got married uh, in this in the city in Erbil, and she took the rest of their, her family and went to Amman. But when before they left, her husband and her other relative were driving their car in the end of a plane, escaping, and uh, the Muslims saw her, their cross. They attacked them as well. Uh, the relative, his hips were broken. Her husband, his ribs were broken. At any rate, they fled to Amman. The three youngest children, for some somehow, for some mysterious reasons, contracted a virus, and they're losing the eyesight, their eyesights, the three youngest. So when we met them, her second daughter, 15 years old, who's all, whose dream was to be- become a doctor, has not been educated because the Christian refugees throughout the Middle East, because they don't have the refugee status in many occasions by UN, UN does not give many of them the refugee status. Uh, They're considered asylum seekers simply, which means the government of those countries is not responsible to help them. The United Nations, because they are not officially recognized by the refugee status as a refugee, does not give them any aid, unlike the Muslim Syrian refugees in these countries. So, the woman is devastated. Um, we came along their side, as you said earlier. We come alongside of these people. Uh, we helped them with about $2,500 to pay the rent. They had been borrowing and borrowing money. In her estimate, they had lost over $2 million in assets and in economic loss. Um, we helped, uh, at the time, we helped the children with one year of uh, glasses and treatment. But I was told last Saturday that um, uh, their, her, one of her youngest children had to do surgery, which cost them 900 which we have to raise the money for them to be operate, for, the, for them to pay the hospital back 
for the with this nine hundred dollars. It's mm. devastating. This woman wept the entire time, and you should have seen the bri- the break, the the in, the. Uh, they said, "Look, everything has been stripped away from us." You should have seen her husband's face, so broken, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he wept as well. I'm telling you the story secondhand, but if you were present at the moment in that house, and when we asked her what keeps you going, she says it's the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juliana, you and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I want to remind our listeners, um, just you know, we we talked just yesterday about the context of um, of, a, of an honor shame culture, and we talked about. Um, the context of of the Middle East, and so, it, with that in mind, I want you to imagine um, the life of this woman and how she is feeling, in in the context of a culture um, that is uh, that is constructed around honor and shame, and yet she's a Christian, and so she knows a freedom in Christ, but she also knows displacement, she knows loss, she knows tragedy, um, she's dealing with the suffering of her own children. Um, it just on and on and on. So let's uh, let's be empathetic today. And as we uh, as we take a break, let's let's consider the plight of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll be right back. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you Continuing my conversation with Juliana Tamarazzi, if you would like to connect with uh, Juliana on Facebook, you can do so at Iraqi Christian Relief Council. You can also do so online, iraqichristianrelief.org. Juliana, as we consider the experience and the plight of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Iraq and displaced from Iraq, living as refugees and asylum seekers. One of the things that you um, that you said was that they're not all they don't all have refugee status. Explain to us how a Christian in a Muslim majority country um, is having a difficult time registering as a refugee or why they might not register as a refugee with the United Nations. Um, because I don't think a lot of people understand the complexity of this system. It's a very complicated system, and it's taken me uh, some time also to understand that from country to country it's different. Uh, I do go to uh, UNHCR offices, which is United Nations Higher Commission on Refugees. I have a strong relationship with them from a communication standpoint, and we're trying to move the needle by advocating in that office in Washington, D.C. But from what I understand, and I'm not going to overwhelm your listeners, um, overall, basically the answer is, uh, on many occasions in different countries, that uh, they're so overwhelmed with the Syrian crisis and the Syrian Muslim refugee situation that the Iraqi Iraqis generally fall on the lower, um, lower part of the, this entire roster that they have. And Iraqi Christians especially fall even below that. Um, if you speak to the Iraqi Christians themselves, they'll, they, they feel discriminated against because of how they are treated in many of the UNHCR offices across the Middle East. Now, in Turkey, I'm going to make it a little complicated. In Turkey, UNHCR office has been reduced to next to nothing, to a very small office in Ankara, this major city in Turkey. Uh, and unfortunately, the police has taken over of, uh, to review uh, every refugee that comes in and create a case for them, which really is a dangerous, dangerous 
concept because of the discrimination that the Christians face in Turkey to begin with. So a lot of um, so one of the one answer is well we're overwhelmed with um, Syrian refugee uh, cases. Uh, another reason is well uh, they are they're safe. They should be going back home to their countries, uh, and because the United States does not allow many refugees to come in, because Australia and Canada have been overwhelmed. Um, they a lot of these people are being refused because they don't have the refugee status. So they're really stuck in a limbo in each of these countries that I mentioned earlier in the earlier segment. They are unable to, they do not want to return because they are afraid. They don't have enough security. There's no economic, real economic development inside Iraq. So they don't want to return, especially those who have young kids. The West really does not uh, allow them to come in. So and they're unable to work, Carmen. None of them are able to work. None of these families. Uh, if they do work, it's illegal. Uh, if they are found, they're deported back to their countries or uh, the owner of the business in, on many occasions does not pay them because they know mm. that they have them in a bind. So mm. I'm going back there to these three countries, Turkey, Lebanon and Jordan, to meet with refugees in October and November because I'm kicking off a campaign to raise awareness and shed more, more light on their lives. And uh, we're going to do an adopt-a-family program, meaning if uh, good Americans, as they have supported my ministry, Iraqi Christian Relief Council, for the last 12 years, if they would adopt by $100 a month or with whatever they can, we would like to at least ease the suffering of their rent and some of their meals. Um, rent on average is about uh, $200, $250 a month. But remember, these people are not working. So my small ministries like mine comes to their aid. Uh, some other evangelical organizations based in the region help them. Um, but really, we have to come along their side. They're really caught in a limbo. And yeah. it's really not fair for them at all because they had everything like you and I do. And everything has been stripped away overnight it's from just, them. It's just stunning. It's just stunning. And it's and it's long-term suffering. Um, Juliana, thank you for what you're doing every day. Um, we want people to connect with Juliana at IraqiChristianRelief.org. You can also do so on Facebook if that's a uh, a place where you visit. Um, IraqiChristianRelief.org and the Iraqi, Iraqi Christian Relief Council on on Facebook. Um, Juliana, thank you so very much. Uh, let's encourage people to adopt a family, and you could just adopt Juliana as well and what she's doing uh, as an agent of God's grace in this generation. Thank, thank you, my you. sister. Thank you. God right. bless you all. Thank you so much. God bless you, dear. Um, we got to take it a quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right. When we talk about good books and there, John Stone Street is talking about a really good book, not what you think. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you've been in the good book lately. And so we want you to be readers like right. We, we constantly talk about books here on the air. In fact, we've talked about um, the book that was written by my next guest, uh, Justin Early. We've talked about the common rule which is his book, on a couple of occasions. And the part of his book that we're going to focus on today is the part about getting into the good book. So there are lots of good books out there, but there's one really good book. There's one ultimately good book, the good book, the Bible. And so when we ask the question, where in the word 
are you today? When I ask that of you, I'm asking a serious question. It's not just a question about where you are um, in the Bible. It is a question about whether or not you are in the Bible. Like that is, that's a provocative question. And do we turn to the things of the world or the phone before we turn to the Bible? Um, so Justin and I are going to talk uh, specifically about delving into the Bible before we turn on our phones. So we're going to talk about that practice and we're going to talk about the importance of that practice and we're going to give you some tools by which to do that. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Back in my day, bullies were confined in name calling at lunchtime, taunts on the playground or fights behind the school at the smoke hole. But today, bullies have way more tools of torment at their disposal. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You know, there's probably nothing that makes me more angry than when I see kids going at each other in a slugfest. But these days, cyber bullies are far more prevalent. Teens post insults on message boards, send threats through text messages, spread rumors via Facebook. To cut someone down, all a bully needs is an internet connection and a little imagination. So mom, dad, keep tabs on your teen, not only to protect him, but to make sure you don't have a bully right under your roof. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. We talk about um, what we are doing as people of faith, and we talked about the practices of faith. I, I'm wondering if you, if you have a practice that you follow, um, if you have a set of common rules that you follow that are helping you move forward and make actual progress, discernible progress in your walk of faith. Uh, we have talked uh, on more than one occasion with Justin Early about his book, The Common Rule. You can check it out at thecommonrule.org. And he's back today specifically to talk about um, one of these habits. And so, Justin, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. So um, we're going to talk specifically about the practice of turning to the Bible before we turn to our phones. So remind us about this one particular practice. That's for sure. Um, this is the habit of scripture before phone. And in the common rule, you know, there's, there's eight daily and weekly habits. This is one of the daily habits. And I think to make sense of it, you really got to think about what, what is going on in the morning. And I would say that the mornings are a time of formation. So whatever we turn to, we're going to become like it. And that's why we got to be careful. So if people are turning to mornings with Carmen instead of turning to something else, right, they're curating and they're making a choice. They are making a choice to listen to you and I talk about the things of faith and talk about practices of faith versus turning to something else this morning. Um, turning to the Bible before we turn to our phones matters. Why? Well, here's how I came to see that it matters. I remember when I was in the first year of practicing with a big law firm, I was working at the London office and I would wake up every morning to half a day's worth of emails because London is up four or five hours ahead of us. And I wanted to do well in this new job. So I unconsciously began this new habit of rolling over and checking my email every morning. And I didn't really notice that this might be a bad habit until one morning my son at the time, who was, I think, just like seven or eight months, woke up and he was crying. And I, 
and, and I woke up and I was about to go comfort him. And then three or four minutes later, I'm halfway through composing an email to the London office and I'm still sitting on be my bed. And I had this wake up call of how did I become more attentive to the cries of my office and the cries of my son? Because nobody, I don't want to be like that. Nobody wants to be like that. But I think what we find is that the phone has a specific, it's programmed this way, you know, by a lot of smart people. Um, to, it has a specific way of grabbing our attention first thing in the morning and there are consequences to that. Okay, I love the way that you articulate that, that you experience this wake-up call, right? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, literally I, a wake-up call. <laughs> yeah, and and um, this attentiveness. So you've used some words that I think are important and I don't want people to miss. We're talking about making a conscious choice um, and forming a conscious habit instead of simply making or falling mm -hmm. into unconscious practices or habits. Talk mm -hmm. about the intentionality related to um, turning to the Bible first before the phone. Sure. Well, because on the one sense, if you just think about maybe the story I just told, it can't just seem like a, a bad habit. You know, that's not, not that big a deal. Just break the habit. I think what is important to realize is that when we wake up in the morning, we're not really just asking what do we need to do today, even though our heads might be asking our phones that question. Our hearts are asking our phones in the world a much more significant question. That's who do I need to become today? Who do I need to become in order to be loved? We are made like this. We're made to be loved. We're made to love. And we're always searching for that. That's the hole in our heart. And so when, when we intentionally choose to turn to Scripture first, to turn to the place where God says you're loved just the way you are, you don't need to earn your love through work today, but you can go out and work in love. Or you don't need to earn your love through trying to get as many likes as you can today, but you can go engage in love. You don't need to earn your love by worrying about the world today through the news, but you can go serve in the world. This order of realizing that we're loved and going to scripture and re remembering that and letting that seek deep down in us, that is so important to the way that we face the world. And that's why I think this intentional choosing of scripture is really important in the morning. So one of the things that you invite people to do um, at thecommonrule.org um, is you invite them, if they've gotten to the place in their life where they need a reset, um, mm -hmm. you're actually inviting people into that. Talk a little bit about the common rule fall reset. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is in one sense part of life. We sort of go through seasons and we, and we get you know, off or on track. And then there's also just the reality that I hinted at earlier, but it's worth emphasizing. I think technology is great, but it is programmed to be addictive. And so we go through these, we go through these seasons where we have a good relationship with our phone or maybe our inbox. And then, you know, it's, it's hard. And so you, you might get out of whack. And I find that kicking off the fall, especially, you know, as kids are going back to school and maybe you're starting a new semester or you're, you're after Labor Day and your work is in a new rhythm, taking those first two weeks of that turn in the season and having a reset where you, you get back into your scripture reading routine or you break some of these bad habits of absence that you've had in your day because of technology. The, the, the common rule fall reset is all about that. It just walks you through habits for two weeks. It's meant to be done together. It's got a devotional guide with it. And, it, and it's just supposed to turn you into that season and say, love God and neighbor in the season. Here are some habits to help with that. So if you guys were to go to um, thecommonrule.org uh, and look around, you're going to find the Common Rule Fall Reset. And um, this habit of, of 
intentionally praying and reading, reading the Bible, uh, particularly before the phone. So scripture reading before before phone. There's actually a list of readings there. I'm curious to know um, why. I mean, because it's it it kind of looks like a random list of Bible texts. I mean, you got one from Job and Romans and Isaiah and Philippians and Titus and Colossians and I'm uh, and Psalms. Um, Ephesians, one of my favorites, uh, but you've also, you know, like, right, like, why this list of scriptures? Just curious. Oh, yeah, no, that's a great question. I think when I was making this, um, I thought about what does what somebody who is not, who's not been in the word recently, what mm-hmm. can we, what can I show them to, to remind them that this is the place where you realize who you are and who God is and why that's a great thing. And so the week one of the fall reset is about God being God. And it's, it's the idea of looking at some passages of scriptures that almost shake us into reverence of saying, oh, my goodness, there was someone who is, is, is big, is all powerful, is omniscient, is, is kind of awesome. A little bit like walking into an enormous landscape and you're suddenly shaken out of the reality that you're the center of things. And you're, and you're like, oh, my goodness, the world is big. And then I think that the next, the beautiful part about scripture is that we're we're also loved. We're in we're in this picture with a big God and love. And so the week two is called "On Humans Being Human," and it just surveys some verses on how while we're strange, broken, and small, God loves us dearly. So Justin and I are going to take a quick break. When we come back. Um... We are going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you how your life has changed by adopting these habits and following um, the common rule. Uh, the common rule includes daily habits of kneeling prayer, the habit of a meal with others, the habit of one hour off your phone or the phone being off, the habit of scripture before phone, and the weekly habits of conversation, curating media, fasting, and Sabbath. More with Justin Early about the common rule up next. I'm talking to Justin Early about The Common Rule. You can check it out at thecommonrule.org. It's a book. It is a way of life. Justin, I'm curious um, how your life has changed by adopting these habits, by living into this common rule. Well, there's kind of two answers to that. One, it changed drastically because this book was born out of my own crisis, and if anybody reads the book or goes on the org and maybe watches one of the talks, you'll, you'll hear about that and how I was a, a former missionary who became a corporate lawyer. And even though I believed and said all the right things, I, I had this season where by habit I was converted to um, a person who was just a wreck of anxiety. All while saying the right things about who God is and the gospel of peace, I became somebody who um, was just a wreck. And so these putting my syncing up my daily practices with the faith claims that I believed led to this book. So in, in, the, in the first sense, it really changed my life that way. But just thinking that was, you know, years ago on an ongoing basis now, um, I really do still live like this and encourage others to. And I think that the way it changes me just often and every day in small ways is, you know, if you think about the, the gospel, and that is that we're, we're broken, but God loves us anyway. There's this sense where we go about our days and there's all kinds of ways we can get knocked off track and experience our brokenness and hurt each other and hurt ourselves. 
And I find that when we punctuate our day with these habits that draw us back to who God is, whether it's scripture before phone or the daily habits of kneeling prayer, the, the habits of meals that push us into community, then we just, we find little interruptions in our day, little snags that turn us out of that inward brokenness and selfishness and towards the love of God and neighbor. And what I found over the course of years is just, that's, that's the good life. It's not a, it's not a pursuit of uh, perfection and solving every problem. It's just saying this is a better way to live than having no structure to life, which is really just adopting someone else's structure. There's always some structure. And, and to say, I'm not going to do anything is really to adopt someone else's structure. And that usually turns us inward into ourself. But these habits are meant to flip us outward towards God and towards neighbor. So again, um, the habits are kneeling prayer, a meal with others, uh, an hour with your phone turned off, scripture before phone. Um, scripture before phone, you know, that seems like obviously first thing in the morning. Um, I'm just curious, like the one hour off your phone, what's your, do you have like a particular hour that you turn your phone off or a, hey, when I'm, um, when I know I'm going to be with my family, then that's going to be my hour off the, like, how do you, how mm-hmm. do you choose that one? You know, I, there's a lot of times that this is really profitable for people, but for me, the way that I do it is right when I get home from work, mm-hmm. um, and again, I'm, I'm a business lawyer, so I'm often helping people in the crisis of a good or bad situation. Um, I check my phone just to make sure that there aren't any crises arising. And, and then I just go upstairs and I turn it off and put it in my top dresser drawer and spend the next hour, um, sometimes two with my family. And for, for me, I just drastically changed the character of my evenings um, mm-hmm. where it used to be that I was still kind of half at work and still wondering whether I should respond to something right away. And now it's just said, this is, this is family time. And, and as a habit, you know, your clients, your colleagues, your, your bosses, your friends, they, a little communication goes along with they actually come to understand and respect. And they, you know, I have people all the time who say, I, I need your attention, but I can wait till 8 PM, you know, and I can, I can talk then about if there's something, if there's some emergency. And so for me, so that's just all about actually being with my wife and four sons when I'm at home. Cause that's the problem of the the phone now. It does so many wonderful things, but often it's the reason that we're with people, but not present with them. And I don't want to live a life where I'm not present with my wife and four boys. I just, I don't, it's not good for me. It's not good for them. It's not a way, it's not a way of loving neighbor. I want more than that. So I feel, I feel compelled to, to ask how old they are because I feel like you're like (laughs) one kid short of a basketball team. Yeah, we are. And my wife is actually really good at basketball, but probably better than me. So I, I could be the coach and, and, she, and she and the four boys could be the team. Um, they are that. seven, five, two and 11 months. Wow. So, yeah, it's a fun and wild. I kind of want to talk to her. You you should. Right? You really should. I, um, we're actually... We're doing a couple talks and seminars at churches this this fall on just sort of how because she doesn't get enough. Um, she I, I try to write about her a lot in the book, but you know she doesn't get to talk about this enough. And she is integral to developing these habits. I mean, the, you can't really do this alone. These are family rhythms as much as they are, you know, personal rhythms. So. Yeah, we should do that. She would love to talk to her, talk to you about it. Yeah, I would. I would love that because I do think that right. These aren't these aren't just individual, and they've probably changed your family life pretty dramatically. You are obviously a different person than you were before you 
entered into this and that changes right not only your marriage it changes your family life it changes Absolutely. how you guys are raising the boys yeah. i mean on and on and on um hey before we go i want to ask you about fasting because i um i'm intrigued by i don't know if you know what christian the christian union is this uh ministry with college students and they have this yes, uh, effort yes. Okay, so they have this website called dayandnight.org, and they're having this national like fast from Monday, August the 12th to Sunday, September the 21st. So there's, I don't know if there's something special about a 21-day fast, but anyways, a number of people seem to do it. So um, they're doing this 21-day fast. I'm intrigued by the concept. I want to ask you, have you ever done a fast that long? Um, and, and if so, do you think it's advantageous? Like, what's the, What do you get out of fasting? Well, uh, that's really interesting. I'm going to look at that. I, I, I haven't done a fast that long before. Um, not from food. I mean, I, I do sometimes so maybe during Lent or other seasons sure. a fast from something or another for that long. But I, I just in general, to answer the question briefly, fasting is, is just an amazing way of introducing restraint into your life to mm. realize all the things that you actually rely on and worship that aren't God. And I think it's 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 you know it's important to say you don't you don't fast from selfishness, for example, because you should never be selfish. That's that what we're talking about is fasting from something that like coffee or food that otherwise is permissible. But then when you remove it, you start to realize what an irritable, impatient, angry person you are without this, and and you see, mm. oh, I, I rely on this for my peace, not Jesus, and that's a way for me regularly to, to turn to that realization. And so I just I just think it's a really healthy, wonderful practice in many ways. And it's also, it's always important to realize that in Jesus' main teaching on fasting, he begins with an assumption that when you fast, he sort of assumes his followers fast. And so I think it's an, an important habitual practice to reclaim. And, and I just, I'll end with this. I'm, I'm really excited. We just recorded a, um, a video series on the book that's going to help people walk through the book this fall. So it's, it's called the common rule because it's meant to be done with your wife or your small group or your friends and community. And so we're, that's going to be out at the end of August and it'll be on the website. And if people want to try these habits, they can go through them individually, watch a short video, discuss with a small group and fasting will be included on that. I love that. All right. So we're going to go to the common rule.org. Um, Justin, thank you again. Um, and pray for me as I'm considering, I'm, I'm considering doing this, uh, this day and night, 21 day fast. So, well, yeah, I just so, might join you. Yeah, so send up a prayer. All right. Hey, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. All right. I got to take one more quick break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to Morning so with Carmen. Bye. All right. So I'd appreciate your prayers today. I know that you guys are a praying people, and I genuinely uh, appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at Lutheran Week 2019. It's an annual gathering of the North American Lutheran Church. They're meeting in Indianapolis. Pray that God um, would use me to encourage them as they are seeking to walk in the spirit as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom um, and as they are leading congregations across North America to extend the gospel. So pray for me as I'm speaking to them today. Um, I'm praying for you that out of his glorious riches, God will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. And know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Have a great day, and God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.